Welcome to the Adversity Psychologist Podcast, a podcast incorporating narratives about facing and navigating adversity, a mixture of people, their experiences and professional psychological discussion. I'm Dr. Tara Quinn Trevillo. I'm a qualified and regulated psychologist with over 20 years experience of mental health, disability and human behaviour. I want to share people's stories of navigating adversity in the hope that through being heard, a dose of compassion and some understanding, we can help others in the face of adversity too. Hi and welcome to the Adversity Psychologist podcast. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo and today I have a guest from across the Atlantic um, who's in New Jersey today. Um, Debbie Weiss, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what's brought you on today? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I think it's just the coolest thing that I could be here in the States and talking to you guys in the UK. Like it's amazing to me. It still blows my mind. So yes, my name is Debbie Weiss. I am an author and a speaker and I am basically never expected to be an author and a speaker. And My story is the story of my life circumstances and how I was a victim, viewed myself as a victim and what was me. And once I changed that mindset, everything in my life has changed. And today I'm a totally different person. So many people need to hear this story. So are you comfortable letting us a little kind of insight into your journey then? What was it? that made you decide you need to speak out about this? And you made a big life change as well, didn't you? I've done a couple couple of different things. I was at a, it was really when I turned 50. I had spent my whole life taking care of other people. I, my dad had had a stroke when I was 17. Okay. And my parents, he survived. He was only 40, almost 46 years old when he had the stroke. And, um, my parents soon got divorced and I have one brother who's younger. And so I became my dad's caregiver for the next, he, he lived for 30 years. Right. So I had that. And then I had, um, my oldest son has mental illness and originally diagnosed on the autistic spectrum. Right. And my husband had meant some mental illness that didn't really come out till later and physical problems. And you know, I'm doing the thing. I'm holding my life together, but I'm I'm on that ha- hamster wheel, and there's yes. no time for me. And I'm I don't know where I'm headed, you know. And I'm unhappy. I real I I didn't realize I was almost overscheduling myself to get breaks yeah. from my house and my life. Yeah. And when I turned fifty, my or I was going to turn fifty, three of my best friends said this is it. You are going away with us two nights, three days. And I was petrified to leave my family, like how many notes and whatever I left everywhere. And I thought I'll never be able to do it. And I did it. And I wish that it was two weeks, not two days. And what I discovered there is I had forgotten who I was as a person. Yes. Yeah. And powerful, isn't it? Yeah. And through our conversations, and they were talking about something, you know, all of these, the three women have I've known basically my whole life and talking about, you know, how I was in high school or or just reliving memories. And I thought, oh, I forgot I like to do that. I forgot how much I was known for my crazy laugh. And when I came back from that, that was my aha moment where I kind of started to realize. It doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. I have these circumstances, but it's how I respond to them that is really causes the outcome of my life. That's really interesting because I hear a lot in my own work that I do in um, public forums, people saying, but life has thrown me these curveballs and it's really difficult to cope. I don't know what to do. And some people can just almost kind of step back and because there's so many psychological barriers to creating change and be really good at burying our head in the sand, aren't we? What do you think helped you make a core shift then? So my whole life I've had a weight problem. Right. You know, and I've lost and gained hundreds, probably thousands of pounds. Okay. And 
something shifted. I was at that point, I was at one of my heaviest weights and obviously I was unhappy. I was physically uncomfortable and it was adding to my, you know, my, my miserable life basically. And I joined Weight Watchers for the millionth time and something clicked in me where I realized, Deb, you're not going to be on this and off this. This is how you need to live for the rest of your life. And I spent all my life watching other people, skinny people. Um, yes. um, they're out to dinner and they're eating something sweet or whatever. And I think to myself, oh, look at them. They can eat whatever they want and they're still thin. What was me? That doesn't happen to me. Of course, I wasn't thinking they're not eating that all the time, right? That's their treat for the yeah. week. And with that mindset shift... And just realizing, nope, this is it. Like, if you're going to do this, you're on this forever. It's not, uh, I need to lose 20 pounds by the summer, by a wedding, you know, nothing like that. And it it caused me to um, lose that perfectionist syndrome, you know. Yes, it's very easy to get caught up in. And cut myself a break, you know. And, um, I didn't care how long it took. And quite frankly, I started that at 50 and in October, I'm going to be 60 and I right. haven't reached my goal, but it's okay. It's okay. I'm a work in progress and I'm good with that. And what's changed? What's different? Because when we look at what you were coping with before emotionally, physically, what have you noticed? Now you've dropped the battle, so to speak. Yes. I've dropped the battle. I'm just, um, I'm happier. I yeah, I right. did lose a significant amount of weight. I, I did lose 90 pounds. I I've well, gained back 10. Yeah. So, but that's okay. Um, so physically I feel better. And when you yeah. feel better, then mentally and emotionally, you can deal so much better with your circumstances. Absolutely. That mind-body link, I'm not sure most people know that you know if you look after your mind it does in fact impact your body but also looking after your body can have a positive impact on the mind you know your outlook your mental health emotional health however we want to refer to that um you've also suffered a significant loss as well haven't you is that something you're comfortable talking about absolutely so as my husband got older he was six years older than i right. was I want to say, actually, I, I used to joke with him, you're going through male menopause. It oh, felt like yeah. the minute he turned 50, yeah. things started going downhill. And he was always, you know, he had some social anxiety, which was hard okay. for me to understand because he was such a gregarious, outgoing person that everyone loved. Yes. And yeah. I couldn't understand it. Like our whole lives, I, I just didn't understand it. And... um he also had some OCD tendencies and right. anxiety. And as he got older and he never took care of himself, never. Uh, we used to argue all the time. I'd make doctor's appointments. He wouldn't go. I'd have to cancel. Then I started leaving my wor work to take him to make sure he got there. We'd argue. So it was, it was rough. Um, he, I'd say for the last five years, he was unable to work. He and I used to work together. I have an insurance agency. Right. He worked with me for almost 25 years. One day he walked out and said, I can't do this anymore. Right. Never came back, never helped us look and say, what do we need to do? You know, where'd you leave things? He couldn't do it. He, um, I thought then he would pick up the slack at the house because he was actually the, our cook and Right. Groceries. Of, yeah. Yeah, she, yeah. He was, you know, had that role and he couldn't. And um, so it was very stressful. And um, in May of last year, I actually, he wouldn't get out of bed for days at a time. And my older son, who also suffers from mental illness, was really pushing me because unfortunately he had been involuntarily committed uh, right. into a hospital in 2020. He was pushing me, said, dad needs to go. Right. And so um, it was it was rough. He was involuntarily yeah. committed and um, an amazing thing happened. He came out 
a different person. He was never open to therapy before. All of a sudden he loved it. He loved the group program that he was doing virtually. He was thriving. I was thrilled to death. I couldn't, I was so happy because I felt so guilty that I was the one who did, did this to him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, three weeks later he was diagnosed with uh, terminal blood cancer. Right. Gosh. And, uh, there went the, uh, he tried to hold on to it, but, uh, he couldn't. And that was June actually exactly a year ago. And he passed away December 30th, 2022, six months later. And it was a rough six months. I was going to say, looking after somebody, supporting them, but also looking after yourself. And did you have support around you during that time? Also, I began to see a therapist uh, around that time, which was very, very helpful. Of course, you know, I had my friends and family and quite frankly, the women in who work with me in my insurance agency, they really stepped up to the plate because I was able to stay home most of that time and be there for him. Um, So yes, I had, luckily I had a lot of support. So enabling you to kind of look after him in line with your values, I guess. Yes. Kind of what you wanted. And one of the things that I read about you is that I can't being replaced with maybe I can and obviously with the loss of your husband but also some of the thinking before that time around how how has my life been and again there's lots more examples there isn't there of looking after others so supporting your husband with his needs and your son is that kind of light bulb moment that you know how can I move how can people move from I can't and that might be fear-based or there might be a lot of logistics there maybe some trauma there, all sorts of psychological reasons and physical barriers to maybe I can. And I really like that phrase, the maybe I can, you know, it's not too, too much, is it? It's not too much. Right, exactly. Not too scary, too much of a shift. And I think that's what it is. I mean, I think for me, most of those things were fear because I was uncomfortable. I felt, you know, from my childhood with my weight issues and some other things, you know, I felt unworthy. I didn't want to be seen. I was afraid to be embarrassed. And, you know, I just realized that I was not opening myself up to the possibilities of life. And every time someone presented something to me, and it could have been the the smallest thing. I'm the thing that comes to my mind is yoga. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've had, um, a major back surgery, a spinal fusion years ago. Right. And I had a pain management doctor who said, you need to do yoga and swimming. I said, I don't you do yoga or swimming. And that's what I would tell him. I don't do that. I can't do that. And when I started to lose weight, I have a good friend who is obsessed with yoga and a new studio opened literally around the block from our house. And I don't remember what she said, and I thought, okay, I, you know what? I was, I don't want to say she peer pressured me, but I think I was starting to realize that I can't always say no. Yes. I was yeah. so scared to walk into that yoga studio. I was intimidated by the way the other people looked. I was intimidated because I knew I couldn't move my body like everybody else with some other fake parts and whatnot that I have. And I remember walking in and thinking, oh God, I'm out of here. I'm going to turn around and walk out. And I didn't. The good old avoid, which (laughs) for a lot of people it works temporarily, doesn't it? Yeah. And I did it. I hated it. I'm going to be honest. I didn't like it. And I felt very out of place, but I couldn't deny how it made my back feel. And so I stuck with it. And, you know, it's baby steps that kind of prove to yourself everything that someone presents to me like that. And she presented knitting to me, you know, whatever it is, it's like, nope, don't do that. And it starts with the awareness of that internal voice that's telling you, I can't. That's the hard part is noticing when it happens because it's such a knee jerk reaction that you've had your whole life. 
kind of rule bound thinking we tend to refer to it as in psychology yeah um, you know these are the right rules for living and and sometimes we like them to be really rigid because that makes the world feel a bit safer <laughs> a bit more predictable um so therefore it can be a bit more scary to step it, outside of them and um, embrace possibility and i say to myself okay not i can't and it yeah. instead of having that come out of your mouth it's that pause to say, wait a minute, on second thought, right? Yeah. Maybe I can do this. Why, why not? Why can't, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? I'm not good at it. People laugh at me. Like I'll survive. But each time that I've stepped out of my comfort zone, whether it was something I wound up to continue to do or not, yeah, you're building that muscle. And you realize, or I've realized that Good things are on the other side of fear. And I've got to learn to step through them. I'm just wondering how many people listen to this now, whether they're on a train or (laughs) just about to get into bed, wherever they listen. Um, Just hearing someone's journey, because I sometimes think when you follow, you know, new regimes on social media, you know, you can join this, do this, this life changing. Um, Everyone seems to be on this really easy journey. And sometimes what puts me off, you know, that actually, I love the fact you say that I didn't really like the yoga, but I noticed the benefits of it. I really, I think people need to hear more things like that. And it's not always these massive epiphanies of, oh, I loved it. And I can't believe all these years that I (laughs) thought I hated yoga. That sometimes you've got to battle through the fear and maybe you might have to do some things that are a bit uncomfy but they may have benefits in other ways and and what's allowed you to carry on then because one thing about you that I've constantly read is that you've made this core shift in so many areas you know as in you've really stuck to it um you know your life now is very very different and is there anything you've noticed or what things that kind of help you to stay doing these things and to stay battling that fear moving forward yes I have noticed a difference, a a complete difference in my life. I don't wake up every day dreading what's ahead of me, right? Oh gosh, I got to go to work. Then when I come home, I got to go food shopping. You know, I got to drive someone somewhere, whatever, whatever it is. We all have it, right? Yeah. Instead, I'm like, what do I get to do today? I get to talk to Dr. Tara today in the UK. How is this? This is like the coolest life. How did I even get here? And it was all small steps and listening to my gut instead of trying to push that away because whatever the gut was telling me was too scary to even think about. Is it all right to ask you then, what was that gut telling you? What what were those scary things? I'm wondering whether it may resonate with our listeners. So besides the weight, I also had financial trouble. Okay. I had been... And my husband couldn't deal with it. So it was just my, you know, right. I couldn't share with him because anytime I did, it threw him into days of depression. So Gosh. I lived with it myself. Right. And I was embarrassed. I, nobody knew. I had one friend who knew. She was the only person so I much could talk shame about. Attached to so money. much. Yeah. yeah. So much, especially because my first career, I was a CPA. Right. And so you know, how can someone who's supposed to understand money and numbers get themselves into this situation? And it was um, eating me alive. And actually, it was Oprah. I went to that kind of like made me start to face it. I went to a right before the pandemic, she was touring uh, and had special guests in each city. And it was yeah. And so I went to one in Brooklyn uh, with Michelle Obama was the special guest, but it was a day long thing. And at one point at the end, Oprah told a story about herself. I don't remember what it was. And she said, you have something, you have a secret. We all have something that we're not dealing with. And if you don't deal with that right now, it could be a little hill but if you keep pushing it away, it's going to turn into a volcano. Yeah. And I started crying because I knew it was my money. Yeah. What powerful that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And um, I said to myself, okay, no more blaming my circumstances. I could tell you all the reasons that it happened, but it doesn't matter. I wasn't facing it. 
And um, so I, this is how I got like where I am today. I came home and thought to myself, all right, you have a couple different choices, right? You could spend less, you could earn more, um, you know, you could refinance things, whatever it was. And I was looking, one of the things I was doing was to earn more. And I thought that I was going to join, I decided I was going to be a network marketer for this supplements that I liked. And I joined a mastermind. I had no idea what a mastermind was, but actually through listening to different podcasts was really helpful. Yeah. Put, you know, getting me on this journey. And I joined this mastermind and honestly, it's changed my life. And, and the network marketing never happened. And my passion has finally come out uh, after uh, almost a lifetime. And that's what's so incredible. So is there something about, if I've got you right, that it was there, but just wasn't able to come out? I'm just thinking you were very, very young, actually, weren't you? 17 when you were caring for your father. It's kind of formative years. So that's the kind of end of high school. Is that right? When yes, you... it was actually the day after I graduated yeah. from high school. So in terms of what you might have been doing if you weren't in that caring role during those years, and did it impact your choices about your future and what yeah. you wanted to do? Yeah, it definitely did. Except now when I look back, I obviously, I wouldn't, not obviously, I wouldn't change it yeah. because yeah. I was, like I said, insecure, didn't want to be seen. But when my dad got sick, I started learning to advocate on his behalf because yes. now he was counting on me. Yeah. And then it was my son was counting on me. And that's where I found my voice through all of these, you know, little traumas. Yeah. So, you know, going through them, of course, I really wouldn't want to go through it again, except I wouldn't be the person I am today without those experiences. So there's that, obviously you living life in line with your values, caring for others. You've mentioned today, but I've also read up that you're very aware of how much you've given to others over the years and how much that might have meant you haven't times given to yourself you know and that might be in terms of career choices but looking after yourself as well um and a lot of holding other people's stuff if that's the right to say because that's really tricky isn't it you know obviously it sounds like you were really working hard to protect your husband if financial issues destabilized him but then of course you're taking that all on board and I'm wondering again how many people a bit like your open moment might be listening to this and going that's me yeah, holding, juggling all these balls, whatever the metaphor that works for them and showing them that you can, there are little steps as a starting point, but it's not easy. It's not a quick fix, is it? No way. It sounds like from what I've read, you're about core shift and change, you know, start with the things that need to be done, work hard, work through them, even if they're tricky. They kind of feel all the feels, as we say, on that Ab journey. Absolutely. I think it can yeah. be so overwhelming when yes, you start to yeah. think, you know, yeah. I'll never be able to do this. It's, you know, like climbing Mount Everest when you yeah. think of all your problems, issues, things that you feel like yeah. you need to overcome. But it it really is, it, it the minute that you start to address something in a small way, you start to feel a little better. You know, maybe you get that spark of hope. Oh, look, I did this. And that's Hopes helpful. What else thing. can I do? Yeah. Right. It starts the ball rolling. You have to start somewhere and not, not get overwhelmed and think um, about everything all at once. Cause that's one of the things that sometimes people might, not everyone has just one little area that they've neglected quite often. There's a complex framework. Absolutely. So in psychology, we have to kind of do what we call a formulation. You know, you pull all these things together and quite often I will notice with patients that they just say, this seems overwhelming. Where do I start? And that's obviously why a lot of people then withdraw and, and I just can't, it's too much. And if you've got any advice on how can people start, because obviously the financial moments seem to be key for you. Is there, you know, is there anything in your journey? Because I know you've got a, a, a book out, haven't you? Anything Not yet, you but coming, yes. It coming out soon. Yeah. Is there anything that you can give us any little nuggets of advice on if it does seem overwhelming, how to manage that element, the element that might lead to people avoiding stepping back? So 
pick one area, pick the area, whatever that is, that is really eating away yep. the most. Okay. And, right. you know, be um, uh, intentional. Yes. I, I, I think that for me, I was never intentional. I didn't know where I was going. It was just wherever life was leading me. I didn't have any control over that. But you really do have to be intentional with your actions. And so find that one area, figure out what your first step is, and make sure you do it every day. If it's something that you have to write down, you know, for me, that was actually helpful. I never had a planner or a journal, and there's so many different ones out there. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I said to myself, even if I wasn't doing it, right? If my only thing was, I'm going to try this journal and some journal that I used, you know, you would pick the one goal that you're working on and three things that I was going to do today that yes. would lead me toward that goal. And even if I just wrote it down and I kept it in front of me, I would bring it to my office, the journal book or whatever, and I would have it open on my desk all day long. So it's there reminding you, but it's quite structured. Yes. Um, because I think containment helps. A lot of people do struggle with motivation and that can be to do with past history, failures, you know, psychological facts. Sometimes it can be to do with the way your brain's wired. So some neurological conditions can mean we find motivation hard. Um, and it's a big barrier, isn't it? You know, that I can't do it. It's too difficult. And sometimes people think there has to be this huge core shift early on. So from what I'm getting from you today, which I think is so interesting, is that it's not about that core shift early on, is it? It's about what can I do today? And there will always be something, I imagine, that you can do right now. Exactly. I mean, something, and I'm not going to, I don't know exactly what the quote is, but something that really resonated with me is that every single choice that I make today is an indication of what um, my life is going to look like five years from now. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. That kind and of I where have, do I want to be? Yeah. Think about how many choices you have in a day. Do I want to spend that money on, you know, that fancy coffee? Do I want to eat that, you know, whatever? Do I want to skip my exercise class? Do I not want to like, you know, at work do that thing that I can't stand? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all we, oh, yeah, absolutely. If we were to all just do a little mini exercise, take an hour in the day and just observe how many choices we make, it would probably really surprise us, wouldn't it? How many yeah. things we have to face. But yeah. then also how many of those things we perhaps avoid. Or really important thing I think you've brought up today, how much we're really present and thinking about the choices, how many of us might walk out of a coffee shop and just think, I didn't even think about what I was buying or how much it was or whether I need it or I just cancelled the exercise class or I just paid for the latte and off I went. Um, it, there's something about intention setting, which I think is really important and planning your future. Um, and is it all right to ask a kind of a bold question? When we look at your history and everything that you did for others, mm -hmm. how did you find it when you started to know that you needed to focus on yourself. How was that when you're not used to it and starting to think about your future particularly? Difficult, guilty, yeah. right? You know, we, I'm just wondering that. Yeah, yeah. Little bit guilty, but when I got that, you know, rush of excitement yeah. where I yeah. did the little step and I got some positive feedback, you know, that kind of draws you down yeah. that road. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me just say that I never, I had no intention of ever writing a book ever in my life. And it's a long story how it happened. But I wound up joining a, a group with a woman that I heard interviewed on a podcast. Right. And I thought, you know what? I'm listening to her and I, I like her. I relate to her. And she, her job was to get first time authors get their stories out there. Right. And I said, okay, what's, what's a phone call or a zoom meeting? I don't have to commit to anything. And yes. I had loved her when we had the meeting and she had a 12 week course and it was right after my husband was diagnosed. And I said to my therapist, I can't do this. 
what if, first of all, you know, I'm, I'm a little A student and even this many years later, I still feel that I'm not going to do something and not be good at it. it. That in itself was fearful. I mean, I said to my therapist, what happens if there's homework and I don't have it? What happens if I can't write or I can't go on because something with my husband? Yeah. And, you know, she kind of gave me the permission. So what? who cares? Um, and I thought, how am I embarking on this, something so new and uncomfortable at a time of such, you know, um, such a difficult time in in my life and my family's life, you know, it felt wrong. And she said, you know, maybe you need a little something for yourself. Yeah. And she was right. And that's, you know, I, I wrote the book while he was dying and I would do it, you know, I would find, you know, you, cause it was so easy to say, I don't have the time to do this. I don't have the mental wherewithal to do this again. Yeah. It's not my, I'm a math girl, not a word girl, you know, um, so that kind it, of rule bound thinking showing up again. About exactly. What you can do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, I did find it therapeutic and I was able to carve out kind of like just an hour a day. Maybe it was before he woke up a lot of times. I would just get up earlier and do it then. And um, it was due to the editor. Uh, My first draft, you know, had to be finished by January 14th. And he passed away on December 30th and I wasn't done. I had like two more chapters to finish. And of course they said to me, please, you don't have to keep that deadline. We can extend it. And I thought, no, I have come this far, you know, I'm going all the way. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think I really give or gave myself enough credit for what I did during such a difficult time. But I'm glad to hear that it was also helpful as well. Very. Having something to focus on the kind of cathartic element as well. And, and the why something you... for yourself. Yes. You know, and, even... and be okay with it as well. Be okay with having something for yourself. Was that something you kind of were able to entertain or? I was, but my, um, as my husband, you know, really was physically feeling a lot worse, his yeah. mental illness. Yeah issues, um, were exacerbated and he actually wound up the month before he died. He was again, uh, involuntarily committed for three weeks. So he would say to me, you don't care about me. You're just planning your life for when I die. And that killed me when he would say that, because I wasn't thinking that you know, I was just kind of taking it step by step and seeing where life was leading me. Um, so yeah, I had those feelings of guilt when he would say things like that, but otherwise I told myself having this for me is helping me be more present for him. As we say, sometimes we can feel guilt about looking after ourselves. But, you know, when you tend to take that metaphor that if you were to have a, a cup of liquid and that liquid's got to nourish you, but be able to be given to everything in your life, you know, the shopping, the writing, the looking after people, all the basics up to the more higher order things we do. You've got to be able to fill yourself up, haven't you? You've got to have enough of that liquid to give to yourself in order to give to others and it's so interesting that that kind of there's a lot of talk today particularly isn't there around kind of loss guilt and then guilt and the relationship with shame as well and I think that will resonate with a lot of people because those can be big barriers can't they to moving forward you know I shouldn't do I mustn't do or I don't deserve to and obviously when your husband passed were you able, did you have support at the time for your grief? Did you want to have support? I I was actually blown away by the number of people that came to his funeral. Right. Now, this is going to sound crazy, 
but when we went, my cousin and aunt came with me to plan the funeral and, yeah. and the funeral director said, how many people do you expect? I mean, who knows that? That's a ridiculous question. It's not like I'm planning a party. Yeah. And uh, I said, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to have 50 people there. I mean, it was like January 3rd, right? P right after the holidays and everybody was going back to work. And I, I thought to myself, you know, what if nobody comes? You know, I knew core people would come. Yeah. The amount of people who walked through the door, I, I honestly just get emotional thinking about it. I, at the end, I said, how many people were here? He said about 225 to 250 Gosh. people. It's incredible. It was, um, you know, I, I've, uh, helping people. I've also done a lot of volunteering. So, yeah. you know, I have all these different places where I donated my time happily and, um, they just, the, the amount of support was un really unbelievable. It, it filled me up. The, the hardest part, and I think the hardest part always with grief and loss is after it's all over, right? Yeah. Everybody goes back to their lives and now here you are and your life as you know it no longer exists. And um, that's, that's where the hard part is and was. And I heard that you went viral on TikTok. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Didn't you? Is that something you're comfortable? Did that yeah. kind of lead up to, because obviously then talking about grief and loss, was that things that you were already putting in the book or? That was so crazy. It was, it was, I know exactly when it was because, so I, I make videos most yeah. days. I walk my dog and I just turn my camera on no makeup, hair not done, not looking my best, and just say what's on my mind. Yeah. And this probably was the first video I made since he died. And I yeah. just started the video saying, you know, I, I never really, I don't plan what's going to come yeah. out. Yeah. And I just said, it's been eight days since my husband died. And then I went on to say that, you know, my life is turned upside down and whatever. Absolutely. And- I have a virtual assistant who posts it there. And quite frankly, I, I'm on social media, my face and my videos, but I don't spend a lot of personal time going through right. it. Yeah. Yeah. So about a week later, she uh, messaged me and said, have you seen TikTok? And I said, no. And at that point, I think I grew from, I think I had 70 followers because I was not a TikToker. And at that point I had 20,000 Wow! and I had a million views on this video. Wow. And over that oh, six day period, it grew to 3.7 million views and wow. 50, 59,000 followers. Incredible. It was crazy. And you know what? Like I said, it was eight days later. So it swept me up in kind of this excitement, like, oh my goodness, what do I do? You know, how do I, what do yeah, I do absolutely. next? I was just so crazy looking all the time, like, oh, what is it now? How many, you know, it was just so exciting. And it was also in that bubble when people were still around me. So it was great and it was exciting. And, and I've noticed, which is so interesting the videos that I make where I am discussing grief or loss or my feelings or I get emotional are the videos that are the most viewed. Yeah. That's what people connect with. Yeah. 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 Not the good stuff, you know? And it's so I wonder if it's something about seeing that if it's just raw you, as you say, it's just you mm -hmm. walking a dog out, they're not orchestrated videos of certain lighting organic you that's come up as a theme today hasn't it yeah talking about grief and loss and I'm just one because one of the things that we can sometimes find and I don't know whether it's maybe more of a British thing or not over here is that people can kind of they mean well but they can really minimize oh, I'm sure you'll be fine right it's time to move on now right come on you need to be doing these practical things but I don't think we necessarily have enough time to really feel all the feelings and allow ourselves to grieve and go with what we're feeling and let alone put it out there and say, this is what I'm, and I'm just wondering, do you know what it was particularly that people resonated with? I, I think it was the fact, you know, I think it is the fact that um, always honest 
Um, yeah, yeah. And that's what people want to hear. And so, like I said, I don't really think about it, but I think in that video, I was, I was saying how, you know, the last eight days I haven't exercised. I haven't, um, I'm eating cookies for breakfast. I'm yeah. like everything, every little thing. And just like those things make everything feel like it's spinning out of control. Yeah. And I just needed to gain some control in some area. And I think people were drawn into that because I had people saying, I'm going to walk with you. You know, I'm going to, you know, be there with you. Let's do this together. Wow. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't connection. remember. Yeah. Yeah. Real the, connection. The, the thing when you said that people try to minimize it, but I would find what um, was difficult for me when somebody would equate it to losing an elderly parent. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we've yeah. all had loss, but all our losses are different. And I've yeah. lost my dad, um, how are, I don't even know, 12 years ago now. Okay. It's not the same because yeah. this is, this was my partner for 30 years. This is, yeah. this is the person who I did lived in my house. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. very, very different. And it's a different, it's an incredible yeah. feeling of loneliness because I, we were a team for yeah. 30 years, right? Half my life or more than half my life, we were a team. And now the realization that I'm alone, that my kids are 22 and 20, but they still need me. And um, I'm all they have. And how you begin to look after yourself and, and carve yourself a pathway moving forward, which brings me on to your book then. Tell us a little bit about why should people go out and buy it? What are you hoping people will get from reading it? I'm hoping people would be inspired. Um, let me just say, when I started with the idea, I said to this woman um, who was helping, why are people going to want to read my story? Yeah, I don't have, thank goodness, right? Thank goodness I don't have any big trauma. I wasn't abused. I wasn't kidnapped. I wasn't, I didn't fall from a mountain and lose limbs. Like it's boring. And then I realized, you know what? I can't relate to somebody who luckily I can't relate to someone who's had a big trauma like that. Yeah. And, yeah. and so many of us only have only have these lifelong little traumas. Yeah. So I realized that even though you might not struggle with weight, you maybe didn't have an infertility issue. You weren't a caregiver, like all of my things. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's, it's not my whole life, but it's little stories divided into three parts that show how I, you know, acquired my limiting beliefs as a child some stories that made me feel unworthy not seen didn't yeah, want to be seen yeah. those kind of things and then the middle is kind of you know how i didn't have a choice or i i felt like i didn't have a choice to step up to be my father's caregiver to face major infertility issues that i had that were scary and hard and oh, then when my son is diagnosed you know on the autistic spectrum like all the struggles and then uh, what happened after I turned 50. And the struggles don't go away, obviously, yeah. right? Yeah. They don't go away. They just change because this is life. Yeah. There's kind of all of that adversity. We were talking about this before we press play, weren't we? Yeah. That, you know, I think sometimes people do confuse adversity with these really you know huge events and I, I almost feel bad because I don't want to say that other events are less but you know on the scale people think as you say you have to have or maybe they think of adversity in a certain way um, and a lot of us go through adversity without maybe realizing it because at the time we're just handling it and we might look back and go actually that was tricky um, and as you know I think what was interesting about hearing about your book is just actually that accumulation you've used the word mini traumas quite a yep. lot today yep. and then we were talking just before and I think that will really resonate with people because it almost I find sometimes think that people almost feel like they have to have permission 
to say they've been through adversity is it enough compared with other people or exactly. is my thing you know all that you I'm sure you're familiar with this all the comparison oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. is my thing bad enough but they've been through way worse so you know invalidating yourself almost and, and what you've been through um when is it out Debbie when is it available uh, August 9th August right 9th. okay so not long not long I'm very excited and planning a book 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 launch party and and learning you know, all about being an author. And and like I said, that's what makes me get up every day and be excited. And if, uh, if you would have told me that Oprah thing moment was yeah. 2020. Wow. From that moment to where I am today, if yeah. I hadn't listened, you know, she said something and maybe you say something that makes somebody think just like she said, or you've got to, don't put, go with it, Yeah, you know, go with it because it really can be the start of a whole new life. So I'm taking away from you today. I've learned a lot, but that, you know, I love the question. Maybe I can, you know, it's not should do, must do, absolutely. But then you've got a nice structure underneath that. What does it look like? If I look at all my problem areas, for example, and they seem really overwhelming, pick one thing then. That's what we've taken away from today. And even with that one thing, you know, list it and then some little sub things. What can I do right now towards that? I think that's a really usable model. Um, but also I've really picked up from there about being able to just validate what you're going through, you know, not minimizing, not trying to compare with others. And what does the future hold for you? Where do you want to see yourself going? I don't know. <laughs> so I, I feel, and this is the reason that I wrote the book. I thought to myself, if I was really in my mid fifties until I realized there was another way. Yeah. There must be other people out there like me, yeah. right? Yes. And I want to find them and shake them <laughs> and say, come on, we can do this. We can do this together. Absolutely. And so that's what my future holds. How can I reach these people who, you know, in my book, in the, in the beginning, I say, how do these people know? How do these, everybody else seem to know that there's a better way? Like I didn't get the memo. My parents didn't teach me this. And I want to be that person who basically opens up the possibilities. So whether it's yeah. through my book or other future books or through speaking engagements or coaching, whatever, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know exactly, but that's the road I'm headed and I'm excited to see where it leads. And I get the sense that it's okay not to know exactly what It is means. okay. It's very hard. Oh, for me, it's very, very hard. But kind of but being I, okay with a bit of uncertainty and leaning and, into that. And and what I find is that I all of a sudden all these ideas pop into my head. All different ideas of different things I can do and and ways to handle things. I didn't have that before. It's like something, you know, a Pandora's box was opened yes. up with all this creativity. Yeah. As you say that, having time to focus on New Year, you have a Facebook group, is that right? I do. Maybe I can. So is that open to anybody? Absolutely, to it's free. Right, yeah. okay. Uh, as in globally. So yes, some of my absolutely. audience are in the UK. It was kind of all dotted around. And I've got a little following in Australia as well. But that's there. I might join, actually. <laughs> well, please I, do. Come on yes, in. Yeah. So I'm going to make sure I put all of these things in the show notes as well, where they can find you. And then obviously the, the links to find the book when it's out as well. The show notes stay live. Um, but also I've got to put TikTok in there because I want people to go, I'm going to go find that video. I'm not on TikTok. I'm such a dinosaur. I need to be, don't I? I'm going to go find it as well because I want to see that. It's incredible. It's been absolutely fantastic talking to you. I always ask every guest at the end, my little signature move, if there was one adversity takeaway, you've given us loads, what would it be? What would your little nugget be at the end? So I've come to realize that there's a quote that really resonates with me that I think most of us know and have heard our whole lives, but I've all of a sudden started to hear it differently. And it's from the Wizard of Oz, from Glinda the Good Witch, who mm -hmm. said, you've always had the power, my dear. You just had to learn it for yourself. Wow. I love that. And <laughs> I, I think that's that. up there with one of the best we've had. <laughs> it's, it's, and it's true. We yeah. don't realize it. We yeah. think that we have no control over what's going on. Yeah. And yeah, there are 
events and circumstances, obviously out of our control, but we can control how we respond to them. Do you know what? That's tapped right into the essence of why I started this podcast is trying to help people look what, you know, there are lots of support avenues out there, but what do we have in us and what's already there? Because sometimes I think we overlook that. It's been an absolute pleasure. I, I could talk to you all day. I say that to every guest. I just absolutely love meeting people, talking with people, hearing their incredible stories. Um, I will make sure everybody knows how to find you. Oh. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. Today. Thank you so much. Such a, I'm I know getting up early as well because I know it's, it's still not early. It's only, yeah, it's nine o'clock, but it's just such For a me. I'm podcast before 10 so you're doing really well doing it at nine. <laughs> that's my <little> rule <laughs> that's your rule <laughs> it's been fabulous having you on and hopefully we'll oh, stay in touch and absolutely we'll love to. a lot of people come back again for second and third episodes oh my gosh so really I would like love that. it creates a really nice community <laughs> thank you so great. much thank you Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Psychologist podcast. It's so lovely to have you here. I'm Dr. Tara Quintrarillo and you can find me at drtara.co.uk. You'll see everything I'm up to, free resources, my media work and my new COVID recovery clinic as well. Remember to please rate and review my podcast. It really helps people to benefit from the narratives of overcoming adversity if they know where to find us. The Adversity Psychologist podcast, helping you one step at a time.